Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. My name is Sam Dover. I'm a global beauty and personal care analyst here at Mintel. And today I'm joined by my colleagues, Alicia, Lisa and Richard to discuss Mintel's latest sustainability research. This is a topic that we're constantly exploring in one way or another, but our latest research comes in the form of our 2021 sustainability barometer, which looks at consumer attitudes towards sustainability, as well as their behaviors and purchase preferences across 16 different countries. So today we're going to discuss a few takeaways from that report, as well as our advice and recommendations for companies wanting to make better sustainability-driven decisions. So to get us started, if I can just ask you, each of you to very briefly introduce yourselves. Let's start with Alicia. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so my name's Alicia, oh, sorry, Alicia Young, and I am the uh, Trends Manager for the APAC region here at Mintel, and I'm based in Sydney. Hi, I'm Lisa Dubina. I am based in Chicago, and I am a senior analyst here on our US Reports team, and I write for our Culture and Identity Library. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me on. I'm Richard. I'm the Senior Trends Consultant at Mintel based uh, in the UK, and I'm also the author of the Barometer Report we were talking about. Amazing. Thank you. So I'm going to jump straight in. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me in this report is that consumers seem to be really keen to put the blame elsewhere. So they are more likely to say their country is suffering from climate change as opposed to causing it. And they think companies are more responsible than themselves for a whole host of environmental issues. So what I really want to know from you guys is, do do these have an impact on behaviors and does that mean that there's an opportunity for companies to really help consumers better understand their role in tackling sustainability related issues well i definitely think there is this sort of climate reality gap if we can call it that sam and yeah things like extreme weather events even in europe are really waking people up to the reality of climate change they accept it's happening in their own country but as you said the research shows that they tend to kind of externalize culpability around this i think um they don't seem to think their countries are, you know, part of the problem. I think one reason for this might be that we kind of externalize the blame and put it on what we might call producer countries like China or, or Brazil and look at them as having a, having a huge emissions footprint when in fact that comes from the manufacturing and growing things for us uh, in other markets as well. The positive thing uh, we're seeing from the research is that people do feel they can have a personal impact themselves and a positive impact as well. But I guess, you know, that suggests opportunities where consumers can work with companies uh, in that regard. But I think to get that to work is, is something uh, where there is trust between those two parties. I think, you know, brands need to do more to sort of, you know, explain to people how far goods have traveled. So I think we don't think about a distribution footprint, uh, for example. I think obviously sourcing things locally would address some of the issues uh, you're talking about. And I think it's not just the sourcing issue of sustainability. I think when it comes to talking about the benefits of something or where there might be a positive impact, if we can make that local, I think you know this suggests that that's going to resonate more strongly um, with people as well. Um, in terms of how companies can get consumers to be more convinced in this how we can get things to resonate with them more then the, the research you've got is pretty clear about that that um, consumers definitely want to see new, new types of information they want simple metrics simple lexicons they can understand and you know going back to that point that consumers feel their own 
purchases can have a direct impact. They, they want to see that on the product. They're telling us almost half of them are saying that, you know, they want to see what was the specific impact of me buying this product? You know, did it remove something from the ocean? Did it result in the tree being planted? Um, they also want to see how much CO2 has been emitted by the product they're buying. We know some brands uh, are obviously doing that. Someone like Reformation in the fashion business or um, Oakley and Food and Drink, they're already doing that on pack, but it's quite rare still. Um, and I think one of the big things is they want they want things they can understand, whether that's you know talking about liters of water or kilometers rather than tons of CO2. And I think they also obviously want the convenience factor of certification. You know, If they can see some kind of certificate on there, they can quickly recognize that's going to help them as well. So um, they're the things I think can make people sort of face up to things and and see how their own purchasing does have an impact and how they can try and be more positive around that. Amazing. Anybody else want to add to that? Yeah, I think a big part of the shift we've seen towards uh, supporting local and buying local is at least I think some on some level driven by kind of an understanding that relying on, as, as Richard just said, these producer countries is ultimately unsustainable. Um, and even if they do kind of think that it's these other countries' fault to some degree, that it's their own consumption that's driving that level of production in the first place. So they're not, you know, they're, they're, there is that culpability in there for the consumer as well, um, even if they're not necessarily from that country. Um, and I think at this stage, there seems to be a certain level of maybe helplessness, so not hopelessness, because we've seen in the data, obviously, that consumers still think that there is time for action, which is good. But as we, you know, really start to understand how big this task is, and, you know, it, it's quite hard to know even just where to start as a consumer. And so I think consumers on an individual level, I think they want to take that responsibility, but they want to know what the right actions take is. And they want to be told, you know, with clear directions. And I think that's why they look to brands and they feel that the responsibility kind of lies with brands as well, not to do the work necessarily, but to show them what to do to, to lead the way. So I think to that end, companies absolutely have a role to play. And in fact, like they have a really exciting opportunity to pioneer new and innovative products and solutions and create the world that we want to live in. Um, you know, we've seen brands embracing circularity, creating really good, you know, quality and valuable products from what would have once been considered like byproduct or waste. And I think that just with all these emerging technologies and all these really cool things that we're seeing coming through, um, consumers are really ready for that narrative. They're really ready to engage with that kind of story as well. And as Richard just said, um, you know, make it feel like their consumption is having a positive impact rather than a negative impact on the world. I'd love to jump in here. Um, from the United States perspective, unfortunately, uh, climate change and sustainability has become uh, pretty politicized. And we looked at this quite a bit in um, our recent April report here in the U.S., the sustainable consumer. Um, so among consumers who we'd consider environmentally conscious, um, we do see that there is a huge gap between concern and understanding their own individual impact. Um, they definitely look to companies and brands um, and feel that involvement from companies and brands is required in order to reverse and improve the process of climate change. And so brands really, I think, have a responsibility um, and an opportunity, as Alicia was saying, to educate consumers, um, to really provide easy, efficient ways that consumers can make sustainable choices in their everyday life. Amazing. I mean, you mentioned the Reformation there as a good example, which I really like that, that 
that as an example of a brand because I feel like it pulls out some really interesting kind of comparisons. So it kind of says what, you know, the average dress water usage in an average dress versus their dress. So I think you think things like that are really important. Is it about really kind of pinpointing the specifics and really using those comparisons, things like that to make it easy to understand for the consumer? I think so. It's about it's about empowerment. I mean, so much of the sustainability seems like such a massive challenge. And I think one of the reasons, you know, our data is showing that consumers think it's less their responsibility than it is governments or companies is this, the sheer scale of the problem. I think the UN was talking about, you know, what we've got to do is kind of reverse everything we did with the Industrial Revolution at twice the speed in sort of half the time or something. So it, it can feel really daunting. So I think people want, it's hard to find positivity around this. So if you can feel that you're choosing a product which, you know, um, comparative to the rest of uh, the rival products has, has a positive impact, you're making a positive beneficial choice. And that, that's very empowering. So I think you shouldn't forget the need for positivity and people wanting to make, you know, small differences and being able to quantify that. So another thing that we discuss in the report is the kind of what we call red lines that consumers won't cross. So this means the factors that they are not willing to compromise on for the sake of the environment. So think, thinking about things like quality, um, price, things like that. So how important do we think these red lines are? And do, is it really about a balancing act between the kind of essential purchase drivers and sustainability? And is it, you know, how can brands and companies kind of strike the right balance, so to speak? I think that's crucial because yeah, one of the questions we asked in the report, we were trying to find out how how prominent different sustainability considerations were when people were buying products. And I think we were kind of looking for that, but I think what came out, which is more important, was the red lines you're talking about. So we can see that we looked at people purchasing staple products. So you take something like a coffee and, you know, um, coffee for the home, whether that's beans or, you know, instant or whatever. But what came through clearly, as you said, was, you know, people weren't going to compromise on quality, convenience or, or practicality in the name of sustainability. And I guess, you know, the, the learnings here are that, you know, something that calls itself a sustainable coffee, and I'm stating the obvious here, but it is foremost a coffee um, first. And, you know, it needs to taste really good. It needs to be, and let's look at the packaging, you know, the packaging needs to perform its cardinal role, which is to protect that coffee, make sure it stays fresh, make sure it doesn't get wasted because something gets lost in the packaging argument. And we see lots of brands doing kind of uh, quick, trying to do quick wins and, you know, have things like biodegradable packaging. The packaging needs to protect the product inside. So that's definitely a red line um, because it's likely the footprint of that product is always going to be higher than the packaging. It's the old cucumber in the plastic wrap argument. So, um, you know, it's no use having coffee coming in biodegradable packaging that's, that's going to break in transit. You know, it really needs to, we need to sort of get all those things right, first of all. So I think you mentioned it briefly there, but there's kind of discrepancies between what consumers think is important with regards to sustainability and what actually makes a difference. So, for example, consumers are really invested in reducing ocean plastic, but actually saving marine biodiversity is arguably of equal importance, if not greater importance. And I think you kind of, consumers latch onto things that they think they can make a big difference. They think that they can make a change. So with that in mind, you know, how important are those quick wins for brands versus actually educating consumers and making them understand, you know, what's important in the long term? Well, um, yeah, if I take that point, I think we can come back to some of these later. But I think, yeah, I mean, if I'm being cynical, I say a lot of companies, you know, going for quick wins, they're taking the easy option. Um, it's kind of the low hanging fruit. You know, it's uh, 
relatively, I use the word relative, it's relatively easy for a company to sponsor something like a tree planting initiative or launch some form of compostable packaging line uh, than it is to, you know, get their energy sourcing in order or something like that. So I think the real question is, what's the reality of your company's footprint? You know, where is your impact bigger? And I think some companies get bounced into um, doing things which maybe aren't relevant to what their business does. And let's, you know, the research we ran this research with consumers. If we ran it with um, environmental scientists, you'd get a very different list of priorities to your point, Sam, about um, biodiversity in the oceans, for example. So I think, you know, going back to what we talked earlier about localism, I think the most impactful thing brands can do is reduce their own emissions in their own territory, specifically about things like their energy sourcing, rather than go offsetting it in projects, you know, way out of their markets, if you like, as well. And I think that kind of tangibility doing things in your own backyard is really going to resonate. And that is them, would be them taking responsibility for what they're doing. And that, that really fits to the, the ethos of what the Paris Agreement is, is about and what distinguishes that from the much earlier Kyoto Agreement, which was very much about, you know, redressing grievances of, you know, exploitation of um, a lot of developing countries in the past. And Paris is much more about getting your own house in order. So I think maybe some brands have been a bit deliberately opaque in the past in terms of, you know, packaging recyclability or where their ingredients come from. But I think, you know, now they need to talk with transparency about those things um, and really talk to their consumers about it to, you know, win trust. And I don't think people are going to expect overnight solutions, but going back to what we talked about earlier, they want to see that, you know, there's positive progress around their consumer choices um, as well. So, yeah, I, I can talk more about education science later on, but I think I'll hand over to Lisa or Alicia for a bit. Um, I think that uh, transparency and education are so important, especially here in the U.S. Uh, we really see that consumers um, do not fully understand or trust brand claims on packaging. Um, so when they see words like sustainability or sustainably made, um, biodegradable packaging, they're not always um, totally believing brands and they're also not completely understanding the benefits of that. So I think it is really important important to uh, build in education and build it around a brand narrative of sustainability to really explain what the brand is doing, what makes it actionable instead of just using these checklist claims. Yeah, I think that comes down to the fact that sustainability can't just be part of like the marketing mix. It's really got to underpin everything that you do as a brand. And and that means how you operate and, and what you offer all the way through the value chain. Um, as Richard just said, you know, offsetting isn't enough and consumers are, are slowly starting to understand the difference and what that actually is and what it means. Um, and I do agree as well that I think some companies are perhaps deliberately opaque or perhaps you know, telling half the story, being a little creative. Um, I did a lot of work recently around uh, World Oceans Day yeah, a few weeks ago. And something I found really interesting was how consumers' understanding of how interconnected um, issues of the ocean and climate and biodiversity, all of that that understanding is really developing, um, for example, but also how that leads to increasing complexity in their purchasing decisions um, and and their expectations around sustainability as well. So with Mintel's purchase intelligence tool, for example, we can see that um, in Australia, some Australian consumers were avoiding farmed fish for example, because they think it's unsustainable. But then others were equally avoiding wild-caught fish for the same reason, so they think it's also unsustainable. And, you know, there's really only two ways to buy fish, so that's kind of, you know, it 
fundamentally they're doing one because they think it's better than the other when neither is necessarily better. Of course, what's complex here is that both can be sustainable, but that really largely depends on you know, the practices of the fisheries themselves. So I think to that question of is there a balancing act, I think it comes down to making sustainability decisions that are purposeful and intentional and really related to your brand as well. Um, you know, as Richard said, planting a few trees is great, but if you're still operating in a way that is wasteful, um, then consumers are going to see through it. Whereas if you highlight an issue within your industry and the ways that you are trying to, to mitigate that um, and, and do better and educate, then you are being really purposeful and real and you're educating consumers at the same time. On that, I'd like to dive in if I can on, the, on that point about education. I mean, that's a big thing that came out, out of the survey. I mean, um, one thing that was disappointing was the proportions of consumers who didn't agree with the statement, you know, science can provide us with solutions to the to the climate crisis because without scientific solutions, we're really in trouble because so much of what we're hoping can happen is based on, you know, innovations which haven't really happened yet. So we've got available technologies. What are they hoping for? I mean, we have available technologies, you know, the things we all know about, you know, solar, batteries, fuel cells, hydroponics and things, but also stuff in development and, you know, things like carbon capture or, um, you know, zero carbon manufacturing materials, lab-grown foods, things like chemical recycling, you know, so much of the the goals of lots of our clients in terms of what they're going to achieve in terms of recycling are based on still developing technologies. And so they're going to be integral to achieving, um, you know, this route to zero and sustainability. So consumers trust, I think, it's not just their education, I guess, it's their trust in science as a solution needs to be really built up. And, you know, I know we've done projects a couple of years ago at Mintel all about how people still trust in nature over science. You know, people, natural's got this kind of halo around it, but, you know, we're talking about sustainability then you know naturals naturals finite you know that natural something we need to you know conserve and we do need to look for synthetic and and scientific solutions so i guess not many brands have the courage to explain scientific solutions or you know maybe give their customers enough credit or respect to sort of bother explaining that to them but that that's something that's definitely going to have to happen yeah i think it all kind of comes back to that level of understanding and how you kind of quickly convey those messages so with that in mind, what role do we think things like certification, labeling, you know, those kind of quick things that people can look for and make help them make decisions? Do we think they're important and do we think they're going to be more important, less important going forward? I think so, because people want, you know, we talked about trust. They want, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, some of our data shows that people definitely want third party accreditation on, on packaging um I guess it's got to be convenient. Something we're seeing in the UK this autumn, we're going to be trialing this uh, traffic light system, uh, similar to what you've seen in the past with nutritional information. Uh, and that's going to, you know, if it's red, it's really high emissions. The nearer it gets to green, the you know more sustainable the product is. And that's been, you know, calculated by third parties. It's going to take account of every life, every stage of the, the product's life cycle. So from the sourcing of the ingredients to the distribution to the disposal of it as well. So that's convenient, right? So, you know, that's very easy for consumers to just to see a color and decide you know um, how sustainable it is and make it make a decision on that and I think there's a broad point about that um, I'm getting a little bit into Alicia's territory here but you know um, when, when we we ran the research with our our drivers research so we're able to see you know how consumers describe themselves and what we see with sustainably minded consumers is they do want things like the convenience of that traffic light system you know the way i talk about them is to say you know they're, they're just like everyone else only more so and, and back to your point about red lines sam um 
the consumers we identify as being particularly sustainably minded, for them, keeping to a budget, having convenience is even more important than it is for your standard consumers. So they're the kind of things you must never you know, forget. And I think there's a wider point here about selling in sustainability to people. Um, we need to remember that these people still have egos. They're still concerned about things like well-being. They want to stand out from the crowd. And, you know, look at a brand like Tesla. That's completely based on that. And, you know, we tend to forget that the more, dare I say, perfunctory level of looking at CPG products and things. But you need to appeal to people's egos and who they think they are beyond the, let's take the sustainable stuff for granted. You've got to position it around that, but we've got to look at other things as well. Yeah, I really like how you phrased that, Richard, just like everyone else, only more so, because that's, like you say, exactly what we've seen in the research again and again. Um, when we talk about you know the drivers of consumer behavior at Mintel um, and the framework that we've developed around that, around these consumer motivators, we can start to see the kinds of consumers who do care more about the environment, about sustainability, and what else they care about as well. So what are those things that they also over-index in? And as, as you say, they, they tend to also care more about other factors like convenience, like budget, um, you know, experience, well-being, all of these different factors. So focusing just on sustainability and eco-consciousness, honestly, I think it's a little bit austere. It's a little bit, you know, it can lead products to maybe be great for the environment, but honestly, a little bit boring. So when you think about, you know, the consumer shopping journey, you still need to grab their eye in the first place. You still need to stand out on the shelf. And sustainability credentials alone often aren't really enough to kind of they don't pique that initial interest in a really fun and interesting way. Um, playfulness is something that we're seeing startup brands doing really well. So thinking like Oatly, for example, just by utilizing a really fun kind of playful tone of voice that connects authentically with the brand's target audience. Um, and another thing as well that kind of gets lost sometimes when brands try to offer more sustainable solutions is basically that they're just not user-friendly. So um, one recent example is of KFC in China who replaced, as they, they had to, government kind of said that no more plastic cutlery. So they replaced the plastic cutlery um, and offered wooden versions, which you know is all well and good. But in China, KFC offers soup. And a basically flat wooden spoon for eating soup is pretty much useless. So, of course, Chinese consumers took to Weibo to complain. Um, and eventually KFC came back and they actually had to apologize for the spoon, which I think is great. So basically consumers, they won't sacrifice user experience. And I think it feels obvious, but it's also, it's also really worth remembering, I think. You know, if it doesn't perform, then it, it just contributes to waste, even if it's made of wood. You know, like Richard, you said with the coffee, right? If it turns up and it's it's kind of crap, then it's a waste, no matter how good it once was. Agreed. We definitely see that in some of our research here in the States as well. Um, consumers overwhelmingly will not buy a sustainable brand if the quality is not proven to be as good as other options. So it's not just the, the user experience and um, grabbing their eye at shelf. It's also then following through and providing the, um, <clears throat> the quality that uh, consumers want to see. And I think in order to achieve that, uh, going back, I think part of that also really relies on those um, third-party labeling certifications. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a definite lack of trust when it comes to brands using s sustainability claims. Um, we also see that consumers are much more willing to trust smaller brands rather than mainstream brands um, when it comes to these claims. So again, for, for large brands who are trying to... Um, 
turn and pull the levers of the the sustainability claims right now, I think it's so important to back that with certifications and labeling from third parties to really give some validity behind the claims that they're making. Yeah, interesting. I'm going to come back to your point on trust there in terms of how you can achieve that. Do you think there's an opportunity for things like partnerships? Would they play a role in terms of, you know, partnering with kind of trusted sources of information on things like sustainability issues? So I'm thinking in the UK, we've had obviously things like the, you know, the big David Attenborough documentaries, you know, is there opportunities to cut for brands, you know, big players in the markets of big retailers to kind of partner with some of those trusted sources of information to kind of give a bit more credibility and backing perhaps behind what they're doing? Definitely. Um, as you were saying, yeah, not just third party uh, certifications or labeling, but then also, um, as I mentioned, consumers are more willing to trust smaller brands. So um, looking at brand partnerships where a major player um, who's not necessarily known for being a sustainable, eco-friendly brand can partner with a smaller startup that kind of got its name in sustainability. Um, two brands like that partnering together or even looking at more celebrity influencer partnerships, uh, bringing in, you know, a brand working with Leonardo DiCaprio, who's so known for his um, environmental and sustainability initiatives. I think that would be a really great way for brands to prove to consumers their sustainability, transparency and uh, truth behind their claims. Selective partnering. Yeah, I know people always kind of consider the... uh Obviously, startups and things that don't have the legacy of some of their quote bad things, some of their, you know, their bigger rivals might have done. And, you know, people talk about the analogy of an oil tanker and how, how long it can take for, you know, some of the, some of the big brands to sort of turn around their policies. They're not nimble, uh, like a lot of startups, but I think, you know, the big brands are obviously the ones that are going to have the impact around this. You know, it's, um, I'm trying not to name any names here, but, you know, it's the, it's the big brands, you know, if they sort of change, uh, their policies, that's going to have, you know, the biggest potential impact and yeah to your point lisa i mean they need to all strive to get you know certification whether it's you know fsc certified packaging or you know it's b core certification whatever they can get that they they all need to strive towards that because i think yeah that the research backs that up across all the countries we've done it and that people want that third-party accreditation it's not enough for the brand to tell them oh this is what we're doing this is what we're achieving they want that backed up because this is there are so many complex issues here around around that point of trust you're raising sam and do we think, you know, when we, because we've chatted about it a little bit as well in terms of, you know, being open, being honest with your consumer is, is, you know, is there examples of where we've seen brands that are actually being quite open about the fact that they're not perfect, but they're making kind of movements towards like good change, you know, long term kind of doing the work, the groundwork? Yeah, one one I like to talk about is uh, Levi's with their sort of waterless project. You know, people are starting to learn, you know, how horrendous the uh, environmental footprint of the fashion industry is, particularly, you know, not just in terms of things like cotton sourcing, but in terms of the vast amounts of water which are used just to produce things like a humble T-shirt. So Levi's are moving towards this waterless technology. And I, I like the fact that they've kind of gone public a few times and said, you know, this is our target of what we're trying to achieve in terms of water reduction. And they they update you on, you know, how far along that journey they are. And I think the point I made earlier is people don't expect overnight success, even though the pressure's on all of this. I think degree of fallibility kind of humanizes your brand. You know, it's fine to say, oh, you know, we set this target, we're kind of 80% there. I think that's okay. 
Um, so I think brands reporting back on their progress, even if they haven't quite hit target, um, is all right. And I think that that does, you know, as I say, that fallibility sort of humanizes the brand. I mean, Pepsi's made a whole kind of uh, marketing career out of trying to portray itself as the more humble little brother of Coca-Cola, I guess, uh, you know, in lots of ways. And they've done well out of that. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, being honest about your progress and, you know, because all of us are trying to become more sustainable in our own lives and we know how difficult it is. I don't think anyone on this call, um, you know, leaves a sort of clean, sustainable life. You know, we're all trying. And I think if brands kind of report back on how they're doing um, and they show that they are sort of making progress, that, that can be enough for consumers to sort of buy into it. So I'm going to quote, take a quote from from the sustainability barometer report. So I really like this quote. So simply doing good wasn't enough to get people to buy sustainable goods and services 50 years ago. And that's still the case today. So to me, that really underpins the message that, you know, it's important for companies to convey sustainability missions in a way that's kind of understandable and meaningful to the average consumer. So to kind of close today, if you could all kind of give me one piece of advice that you would give companies when they're looking to develop sustainability strategies, what would that be? I'd go back to what I was saying about the coffee, really. Remember that a sustainable product is foremost a product. We need to not forget that. It needs to position to appeal to people beyond its sustainability credentials. I mean, uh, a quote I used in the report back from the kind of first, uh, you know, rising of eco-consciousness and the peace movement from back in the 60s, John Lennon was talking about, you know, his uh, war is over peace campaign. And he talked about peace saying they wanted to sell it like it was soap or soft drinks. And, you know, that really kind of nails it, I think. Um, and you need, you need to not forget that a sustainable product or service, you still need to position and sell it like soap or soft drinks. Um, and as you know, we talked about with Alicia, with the driver's work she's been doing, you need to sort of remember that sustainably minded consumers, you know, still have other non-green sentiments. So let's not forget that these sustainable products and services, um, they need to uh, perform to Alicia's words as well. And they need to, um, you know, appeal to people in many different ways, not just to sustainable products. Yeah, my advice would be, Actually, kind of to reiterate Richard's points, um, that consumers don't expect brands to have all the answers. Um, often, I think we forget that they're still just people at the end of the day. Um, whether or not they're doing their best, we, we like to think they are, but ultimately, they're people working the same way that we are. Um, but I think ultimately, consumers, they're looking for an honest effort. So being transparent and realistic and taking consumers along for the ride is really important. So bringing along on that, on that narrative. So to that end, building accountability into the sustainability strategy by having those clear targets and really clear metrics as well. I think the most important part of accountability is collecting the data um, that makes you know, any strategy memorable, uh, measurable Sorry, so that you actually understand the nature and the scale of the problem um, and you know where and how you're actually making a difference as well. So, you know, Basically, just collecting the data and making sure that you're being efficient in in these changes you're making. Um, And I think that while relying on, you know, offsetting or even third-party organizations and alliances and certifications, they are certainly, they have their place and they're important by themselves. I don't think they're going to cut it in and of themselves. I think you're really going to have to look back into your own value chain and say, what are the things that we can do? Um, and really, I think just do that work. I think it's it's hard work, but it's work that's got to be done. Um, that was more than one thing. Sorry, that was a lot of things. 
Uh, jumping off of that, I think it is so important that brands um, provide a sustainability narrative, as Alicia was saying. Um, again, it can't just be uh, a checklist of uh, sustainability claims and benefits. Um, they really have to present this as a larger part of the brand's um, mission, the brand's purpose. And uh, going back to what we were talking about before, some of that is going to be admitting to missteps in the past um, and showing the proof, uh, again, as Alicia was saying, the data, the metrics behind um, new efforts being um, undertaken by the brand. Um, So demonstrating the real... um, motivations behind a focus on sustainability and really providing a comprehensive explanation of how the brand's efforts are actually making a difference. Um, Again, I think this is so crucial towards earning that consumer trust, educating consumers, um, and once again, just providing more than uh, a simple checklist of uh, claims and benefits. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, one of the key things to take away from the report is that you know i think we can be quite doom and gloom when it comes to sustainability but actually consumers kind of want to make the difference as much as possible and it's just really about kind of brands finding the opportunity to help consumers make those kind of sustainable choices really and help them make it in a way that isn't gonna provide too much of an inconvenience or impact their general i think it's an exciting opportunity frankly like we get to reinvent the world in a much more exciting and better way i think Rather than, like you say, looking at it as a doom and gloom kind of proposition, like how do we, you know, it doesn't have to be austere. It can be fun. It can be exciting. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's an opportunity for, it's an opportunity for, for brands to partner with their consumers and, you know, build a sort of different relationship and, you know, one that endures. I mean, I always get asked by clients, you know, will consumers pay a premium? You know, what, you know, is that the reason for doing it? And I'm saying, well, no, but, you know, long-term it's about, you know, building a long-term relationship with your consumers for the future. You know, it's about taking the hard investment now uh, for the benefit of the future. Yeah, definitely. I feel like going on to pricing and all of that opens up a whole other conversation that sadly I don't think we've got time for today. But um follow up, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um I just want to say thanks to everyone for listening and thank you to my guests today, Alicia, Lisa and Richard for joining me. Um if you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, then please head over to Mintel.com. You can find the sustainability barometer report that we've been talking about today there. And even more insights from our analysts are on our blog as well. So thank you again for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And if you like what you've heard today, please do spread the word and look out for our next episode of Mintel's Little Conversation. Mm